Hey guys, welcome back to Esthetician on the Edge, the podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to work on deciphering some product label jargon. We're going to do a, well, I don't want to call it a deep dive. Let's call it a shallow dive into an ingredient and then tie it all in a bow with a few little odds and ends. The first thing that I wanted to jump into is product labeling. Well, more specifically, some of the catchphrases that tend to catch a client's eye when they are out shopping. One of the biggest ones that I hear, I hear it all the time, So many brands, pro brands, store brands, prestige brands, all of them, all of them use this one. Dermatologist approved and or tested. Now, I had a client who had, oh God, y'all, when, okay, she had a, the only way to describe this is a fierce allergic reaction to a product that she bought at Ulta. She called me. Now, if you know me, I don't do phone. I hate talking on the phone. I'll watch it ring and then I'll text you back immediately after and be like, hey, what's up? And she knows I don't do phone. We've talked about it. So when I saw her name pop up, my first thought was, damn it, this crazy bitch. She bought a microneedling pen and she is currently bleeding to death in her own carriage house. So yeah, I answered. And she tells me she's freaking out, of course, and she's itching. (laughs) But she bought a vitamin C serum, you know, because she hadn't already bought two from me, whatever. And she liked this one because it smelled like oranges. It smelled better than the ones I sold her. And her face was itching and on fire and her eyes were tearing and she needed to know what to do. She said that the label said it was for all skin types, even sensitive, and that it had a, what looked like a stamp. You guys know what I'm talking about, but it said dermatologist tested and approved, and it was also natural. So, you know, nature has never hurt anyone, right? Yeah, okay. But she thought that this would be okay for her very, I I can't express this enough, her very dramatic skin. So she thought she could use it. Guess what lesson she learned that day, guys? (laughs) Besides that Benadryl will knock you out no matter how much you drink daily. She learned label claims, eh, they really don't mean a lot of anything. Now, don't get me wrong. Labels, they are regulated. But the terms that are used on the labels, (laughs) yeah, not so much. Not so much on that one. Dermatologist tested simply means it could mean this. That's the crazy part. But it means that a dermatologist reviewed the clinicals, they noted the results, and that they signed off on the formulation. They may or may not have overseen the clinicals themselves. They may not have ever even touched the product because there are no FDA guidelines laid out for the term dermatologist tested or dermatologist approved. Like, When you see that, you're thinking as a, you know, as a consumer that's going to buy this product that says dermatologist tested, you are thinking that they had to do X amount of test for efficacy and, you know, to make sure it's not irritating and they had to do it on X amount of people. You would be wrong. (laughs) They don't have to do any of that stuff. It simply means that a dermatologist said, yeah, these results mean it's working. So here's my seal of approval. And it can be that it went through a bunch of dermatologists who didn't like it 
And then finally, they found one dermatologist, one dermatologist who said, yeah, you know what? It's not awful. It's fine. Let's sign up on this. So pay little credence to the terms dermatologist tested, dermatologist approved. Another fun one that I see people waxing poetic about, I see this one a lot, is hypoallergenic. It means shit all, guys. It really does. There are, again, no federal guidelines in place that regulates what a company needs to leave out or to put in for a product line to carry the designation of hypoallergenic. It means whatever a company wants it to mean. Maybe, maybe. Their research shows that a particular detergent or thickener is an irritant, so they leave out that specific thing and they simply slap a hypoallergenic label on it. That doesn't make it any more appropriate for your sensitive skin than anything else that you can buy. The label claim gives that consumer a false sense of security that if they use a product that is labeled hypoallergenic, that it won't hurt their skin in any way, that it won't sensitize their skin. That's not true. Absolutely not true. I think all of you all know, um, what is it? What is it called? Johnson and Johnson's No More Tears. Is that? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. I'm sure it's a baby shampoo that says no more tears on the bottle. But everyone just assumes that it's a super sensitive, neutral, natural kind of product. But the reason you don't have any more tears is because it is formulated to have the same pH as the body. So it doesn't irritate. But nobody wants to see that. They want to think it's made with like feathers and fairy shit. I don't know. All right, another one. Let's see. Natural or 100% natural. It's another term that can mean anything, anything. Shoot for the stars. It can mean anything. The FDA does not have a legal term for natural in the realm that we work in. What companies are hoping you do, and you do, we all do, is that you will associate it with a term natural that is regulated in the food sector. Now, when you think of natural foods, you, of course, think of something that has been plucked out of a chemical-free field and then rinsed in running spring water and then thrown into the produce section where it sits and it's beautiful until you go buy it. And nine times out of ten, that is what consumers do, in fact, associate it with. Do you guys hear my cat scratching? Yeah, sorry. But anywho, a consumer feels like they are doing good things for the environment and they are doing good things for their own health by being conscious of the things that they put on it and in it by buying natural products. Again, marketing is playing on your sense of safety. Now, you may have seen some products say that they are certified natural. Companies like EcoCert will certify cosmetics and home goods, but those standards Their EcoCert standards, the FDA, again, and this is what counts, the FDA does not have a definition for the term natural. It doesn't regulate its use in cosmetics. Now, I'm not saying that the certification that you get from a company doesn't mean anything. I'm sure that companies like EcoCert, I'm sure that they do have stringent standards that they have set for themselves, but I'm just telling you that there are no universal standards set down by the government. The FDA has no say in what that definition is. Therefore, it can mean anything. Um, another one, the term organic. That makes me furious. I, I did a show on that last year. 
like a really lengthy show of me bitching basically. But again, the term organic in our realm, it is not regulated. Now I will say if they have that official USDA organic logo on the box, like on the front of the box, and it has to be the real logo. There are so many non-official organic logos everywhere. Google it. Google organic label and see what pulls up. There's only one USDA organic logo, but it's hard and it's easy to get that organic stamp of approval. Now that sounds crazy, I know, but listen to me. Whatever ingredient they are calling organic, it does indeed, it has to, has to meet the very strict standards the FDA has on organic foods. But y'all, it can be like, I don't know, three ingredients out of 20 or 40 or 60. That's it. It could be the, I don't know, the lavender is organic. Don't fall for marketing ploys like this. Our skincare companies, they are just as guilty. Pro brands, hell, if you think about it, they're even guiltier. I'm pretty sure that the whole paraben-free bullshit started at the professional level. It doesn't matter how many in-depth studies are done, documented, that parabens are so fucking safe. Some estheticians and clients, they still do not want them in their products. It's like, it's ingrained in their brain that they're bad. I'll tell you right now though, I've said it a million times, all products need a preservative system. All my products, they're going to have a preservative system. If you buy something from me, it has a preservative system. Even if they disguise it as natural, I don't care. I check. I know the truth about parabens. Now I'm speaking to you esthetician to esthetician because... There are some great product lines out there and they are not natural and they are not hypoallergenic. And I think sometimes we as professionals, we can buy into the hype, especially if you've just finished like an educational class on a product or something like that. As a professional, you should be able to flip that container over and decide for yourself if the product is safe for use on your clients, if it's full of potential allergens, and if it's even worth the price that you're asking for it. You're the boss of that skincare. Act like it. Don't fall for label bullshit. All right, in the next segment, we are heading into the classroom to talk a bit about resveratrol. But poor resveratrol, vitamin C outshines it in every single market. That's all we talk about. That's literally the only antioxidant we talk about is vitamin C. But resveratrol, y'all, it is a contender in the world of skincare because it too it is an antioxidant. And as you know, antioxidants, they're like the bodyguards of the skincare world. They kick ass and they take names when it comes to free radicals. Now, resveratrol is a polyphenol compound that is found in the skin of, hold on, I don't want to have to look at my notes for this, uh, red grapes, peanuts, and if I'm remembering correctly, dark chocolate. All great things, right? Back in the day, you probably even heard uh, that drinking wine, red wine specifically, was a fabulous way to get your dose of resveratrol. It's supposed to help with your heart health and any kind of oxidative stress that takes place in your body. Now, I know that I personally have lifted a glass and thought, this is for the good of my heart and skin. It's the only reason I'm drinking. Nope. (laughs) That has never happened a day in my damn life. I just like to drink. Let's be honest. We're friends. But if you want the effects of resveratrol, I would suggest maybe, just maybe, a supplement, maybe a serum, because to get the benefits from drinking resveratrol, (laughs) y'all, I know y'all like to drink. I like to drink, but this is a little much. This is a little much for everybody. You need to put down about 10 gallons of wine daily for the dosage that showed the most promise in animal testing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
frat boys can't drink 10 gallons a day. That's insane. Uh, even with a healthy pour, I don't get to 10 gallons a day. It ain't happening. But on a side note, so while I was looking into this, did you guys know we get the shaft on everything? Women? That was not sexual innuendo either. <laughs> but did you know for wine, be, to get your healthy, and I say that in quotes, healthy daily allowance of wine, we only get to drink five ounces. Now, men, I think they got 10 ounces. So double what we get. Get the fuck out of here. I drink five ounces in the first swallow. Yeah, no. All right, back to the 10 gallons. But even if you do a supplement, I do believe that the correct dose or the dose that they were using in their animal testing was 500 milligrams where they saw results in the health uh, and well-being of the animals. And that is a lot because I think most resveratrol comes in 40, I think it's 40 milligrams is the dose in each little caplet. So just make sure that you're following the instructions on your supplements because it is possible to get too much uh, of a vitamin. But resveratrol was shown, at least in the trials, to raise your good cholesterol, your HDL. It was also shown to protect blood vessels from damage. It prevented blood clots. Uh, It also reduced the risk of diabetes. And it may also, may, remember, may inhibit the growth of cancer cells. There was no conclusive research to that to this date, though. And if you remember when red wine came into the spotlight as something that was healthy, the the one thing that catapulted resveratrol into the spotlight all those years ago, the fact that it makes your heart healthier, nope, not a speck of evidence, even in the animal testing, to prove that any of that was actually true. Okay, so you have heard all about what resveratrol can do internally, but I know that you want to hear the skin skinny. If you read the research submitted, God, I don't suggest that you do. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so boring. So boring. But it's still interesting, but very boring. For eight weeks, the testing and control groups applied a product around 0.8%. And they did this twice a day. And they saw a significant decrease in pigmentation. It was also used to test the efficacy of using resveratrol products in wrinkles, elasticity, and all those lovely aging issues that we all have. Now, compared with the baseline values before treatments in the test subjects, the total wrinkled area decreased. Y'all are going to love this. I mean, it's not a lot, but it's still something. The total wrinkle area decreased was between 4.8%. 4.86% and 5.12%. The total wrinkle volume decreased was between 8.41% and 10.5%. Sagging decreased between 4.6% and 5.9%. Now, elasticity increased 2.84% to 3.98%. Denseness, so collagen, hello, get this, it increased. to 20.8%. Moisture content increased 5.8% to 7.3%. Lightness increased 0.7% to 1.07%. And skin color index increased 4.9% to 5.4%. And all of this was um, respectively 4 to 8 weeks with participants. So what do all those numbers mean? Well, fuck, that is something you can tell your clients, number one. But it means that resveratrol is a proven lightening ingredient that happens to also boast humectant and what would seem like collagen building properties if this study is any indication. 
One more thing about resveratrol. Just like vitamin C, resveratrol can be hard to stabilize. And like vitamin C, water will destabilize it very, very quickly. So you want to look for formulation that isn't water-based. Resveratrol maintains stability best at more of an acidic level. So you don't really want to give above six. It also works even better if it's paired with other anti-aging ingredients, something like a ferlic acid or a vitamin E or a vitamin B. Uh, in the formulation. Now you can find resveratrol products in a wide, massively wide price range. You can get it as cheap as $8 from The Ordinary. I know you guys hate The Ordinary, but this product works. Um, and it can go upwards. Let's see, I think, ooh, I can't remember the price. Skinceuticals, it's in the 150s, 160s for their resveratrol product. Uh, there are a couple of products at Sephora, and I cannot, I can see the bottle, but I cannot think of the name of the line. Shit, shit, shit. I should write these things down. I don't know why I don't write stuff down, um, but it's like $195 and it's, it's a water-based formulation. So that ain't doing shit for you. Oh, okay. Um, but typically when you're using resveratrol, easiest way to implement it is to make it just part of your nighttime routine. You'll do it just like you would any other serum after cleansing. Uh, if you're one of those people who, who tone, of course, it would be after your cleanse, then your toned, then you would do your serum, and then your moisturizer. Now, personally, I am a smidge paranoid about negating the effects of an ingredient that doesn't play well with water. So what I do is I always instruct my clients to put on their product, like their resveratrol or the vitamin C, and then brush their teeth. You know, do something where they're going to have a few seconds to let the product dry, and then they can move on in with the rest of their products, like their moisturizers or their other serums. It, I mean, it might not do anything, but it doesn't hurt, right? And for those of you who have clients who are trying to get pregnant or are already preggers, resveratrol is a no-no. It is not safe for their use. Studies in animals have shown that it does cause alterations to the fetal pancreatic development. Sorry, that's the only study I have because hello, there are no human trials because there is not a mother out there who wants to use their unborn child as a test dummy for science. All right, there you have it, resveratrol in a nutshell. Hopefully that helped you understand what it is, what age group benefits the most from it, and what it does just a little bit better. It also, I hope I gave you a few statistics to toss out there to your clients. You should totally be pushing this, any kind of resveratrol serum to that 35 and up crowd. It addresses every concern that they have, spots, sagging, wrinkles, and hydration. It's like a one-two punch. All right, moving on. In the, next in the next segment, I thought I would cover a topic request. The person wanted to know how I stay organized. And I asked her if she meant records, like room, life, what? And she said all of the above. And I can tell you my life is an unorganized, chaotic mess. My room, however, that mofo is immaculate. So let's talk about that. I personally have never had an issue with organization. I hate messiness of any kind. It makes me feel, oh, I don't know. I, I never thought I had anxiety, but I think it ramps up my anxiety. It makes me feel frazzled. Has ever since I was a child. I need order. My kid, he calls me a minimalist. <laughs> so yeah, there is no clutter in this house. I will throw so much shit away rather than try to fit it into a closet or an attic space. If it doesn't go in neatly, it's gone. I don't need that. And if you think I'm shitting you, y'all. <laughs> so you all know I'm married because I've talked about my husband a million times. But by the time my husband and me were married for... 
I, I want to say 18 months, but it might have just been a year. I decided that all the things from our wedding, you know, things that people keep, <laughs> invitations, the book they make people sign and write in, uh, cake toppers, glasses, napkin, like anything, any kind of wedding accoutrement that it should be thrown away. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, I had the husband. It wasn't like I needed all of this stuff messing up my cabinets to remember I was married. Fuck, it's not like you can forget that you're married. He snores next to me on a nightly basis. So, yeah, okay. I threw it away. <laughs> my poor husband, he's a hoarder. And it, it took him about seven years to figure out all of our wedding shit was gone. And one day he just comes up to me. I think we were moving. Or he, no, I made him clean the garage, which he already was pissy about. And he was like, where the fuck's all of our wedding stuff? I'm like, it's gone, honey. It's been gone. <laughs> he is way more sentimental than me. It's so funny. Um, I attach emotion to almost nothing. I can cut something off. No problem. Never have had a problem doing it. Yeah, that's me. All, all feelings and shit like that. But I'm getting away from the point. My point is throw shit away if it's not serving a purpose in your space. If you're like me... You've got a very small room that you're working with, with very limited storage. You can't be organized and hoard for what might be circumstances. And that's what it is. Everyone hoards for those just in case. Oh, I don't carry that line anymore, but I'm totally keeping all this back bar stuff. Just in case. I didn't sell a single one of those damn sheet masks, but I'm totally keeping them. Just in case. No, throw that shit out. Clean your life. So here's my basic setup. I have a cart that holds any and all essentials that I need for waxing and tinting. Everything on that cart is in containers. It's labeled because State Board can't figure out what a large wax stick looks like without a label. And it is in the order that I will need them in the service. Lids. Y'all, this is a pet peeve of mine. Lids are on at all times because it is gross when they are not. Think about it. If you're in a space like me, there's hair everywhere. And skin flakes and droplets are flying around in the air. And they're landing on your shit. So put your lids on. Then I have another cabinet. Try to remember. Hold on. Oh, yeah. I have another cabinet. And that is where I put all my linens, my towels, my drapes, headbands, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and a small portion of it is dedicated to my stomach. That's right. Snacks, guys. I gotta have snacks because I'm a grazer. I don't eat big, huge meals. I eat meals like every two hours because I graze. Uh, and this cabinet in particular, I'm trying to, okay. It is larger. Like it has a larger surface area. So I do set my hot towel cavity, my, my fridge for my cold stuff. And then I use the center of the surface as my work area for facial services. Yeah, I know. I'm one of those estheticians that has to have everything out. It has to be dispensed. It has to be lined up in order of use. And it has to be on an SMA. And I do this because I don't like fumbling around in the dark making all kinds of noise. It's already loud enough in my fucking space. Now, I will say that I do not dispense until the client is there because I am not wasteful and people do no show. Um, but I will dispense while I'm talking to them, talking to them about changes in their skin, you know, before I do skin analysis. Uh, let's see. What else do I have? I have another cart. I got lots of carts. Uh, I have another cart and that one holds just I don't, like odds and ends, things that I don't utilize a lot, but that I might need occasionally for different clients. And again, all of that stuff also in containers, also with labels, 
Um, and I think, huh, yeah, that same cart holds my, yeah, holds my microderm units, tips and the hoses, things for like that. And then I utilize under, under my sink as well. Now under your sink, it should be as clean as the rest of your space. And I've seen under some of y'all sinks and it's disgusting. Don't do that. If something leaks, make your landlord fix that shit. But I put cleaning supplies under there, of course. That's where I put paper, like any kind of um, filing I have under there. Procedural guides that I've acquired from different skincare lines. Those are all under there just in case I need them. My retail, now I have a small space. So my retail is all out and it's displayed for purchase. I, I don't have storage space to keep a lot of back stock of retail. So what I have is out on the shelves everything and if i'm being honest this works in my retail favor if there's you know if you have a client and there's only one of something left they are hella quick to snatch it up especially when i tell them you know that's my inventory whatever's on display is what i got and i'll say but no rush because i'm gonna be making an order soon and yeah they always rush and they buy it <laughs> mm, okay so i think that's it you know besides a table and a steamer with a lamp that's my room and I, I'm pretty sure I just described all of your rooms to a T, so no earth-shattering news there. 90% of you are probably like, girl, when did you come to my treatment room? <laughs> now, when I'm using my disposables, this might sound strange to you, but I do not restock until I have completely emptied that container. I, I It's just the way I do it. It might sound crazy to you. Um, but this does give me an opportunity to clean the containers out once they're empty, let them air dry overnight. That way, you know, there's no moisture in them. Um, and then the next morning when I come in, I'll fill everything up like new wax sticks, new four by fours, that kind of thing. Now the lids and stuff. Yes, I do clean those after each client, you know, the outside of the containers, anything that I've touched gets cleaned after each client. I do use my least busy day, which is Sunday as a deep cleaning day. So that's when I bring in the vacuum, I bring in the good mop, uh, all the smelly good stuff to spit shine, everything to get ready for the following week. Now, I will say that the most important thing, at least for me, because I procrastinate, God, do I procrastinate, is make sure if you finish a client at the end of the day and you've got, which would, I'll probably have more than you guys because I dispense, but let's say that you have bowls, brushes, you have like tweezers, uh, scissors, an extractor in your sink. Don't say to yourself, fuck this, I'm tired, I'll do it tomorrow, it'll still be there. You know, don't say, I'll wipe that steamer arm down really good tomorrow, or I'll wipe those watermarks off of my mirror tomorrow. I'll empty that cabbie tray tomorrow. You won't. And then it's going to snowball until your room is a nasty wreck. You're going to pull the cabbie tray out and there's going to be mold in it. And I've seen that. It's disgusting. Uh, let's see what else. Laundry. I do mine at home. Now, the place I'm at, it offers laundry services, but there's too many hair splinters and odd hairs when I try to use the washer and dry at work because the place is mostly hairstylist. Um, there are a few nail techs. The first time I found a fingernail, that was it. I was done. Gonna do that shit at home. But when you do it at home, you do have a tendency to just throw everything back in the hamper and take it to work. But always fold it fresh out of the dryer. Don't leave it till you get to work because what you're gonna do is you're gonna show up five minutes before you're supposed to be there. Your client's already gonna be there and you're just gonna shove everything into a cabinet and forget about it. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. What other... Oh, record keeping. Organization and record keeping. Well, I'm just as new to this as you guys are. I have not been out on my own since... Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, a long time ago. 
oh my god, 2009? I think it was 2009, maybe 2010. So I'll let you know how it worked once I file taxes. <laughs> but I do keep every single receipt and I keep it in an old school accordion file. The kind where you can label the little tabs on it. I like those. Uh, and I've got the tabs labeled like back bar, retail, furniture, furnishing, supplies, taxes, business associate expenses. And then I have a miscellaneous for shit that I don't have a clue what it falls under, but I know I need it. Um, there's a bunch of apps that you can look at in the marketplace where you can take pictures and upload your receipts so that you have them in one place. I do recommend that. Um, but you can do like pocket suite, quicken, everybody knows quicken, right? But they're popular ones. Now my business is small enough that this little bit of business stuff works for me, but as I grow, let's hope I grow, I'll get maybe a little bit more high tech with it. Maybe actually hire an accountant. <laughs> I'll definitely hire an accountant if I get audited this year. Yep. And I think I could be really, truly, I'm so annoying. I'm telling you, the tax people in my state, they know my name. They probably know my phone number at this point. I will email them and be like, and I'm not joking. This, I have done this in an email. I'll say something like, hey, do you have the idiot's version of this document? Because I have no idea what you want from me and I don't want you to audit me. <laughs> and they always send back an LOL and tell me that they love it. Um, but I've talked to numerous, numerous, very helpful, I will say they're very helpful reps who have walked me through the steps of paying my monthly tax bill when I forgot. We did, we used to do it different. We used to live in a different state and it's done completely different there. So I might have sort of forgotten to pay for three months. Okay. Don't judge me. That Yeah. I, I should have researched it, but I didn't. So there you are. But what I'm saying is I have no shame. If I don't get it, if I don't understand it, I don't care. I'm going to ask. I want to understand it. Somebody's going to explain it to me. <laughs> but anyhow, that's how I stay organized in my room. If it doesn't have a purpose, toss it or donate it. Don't buy shit that you don't need. Clean after each client. I can't say that enough. Have a designated place for everything and always put it back in its place. Keep all your receipts, even if you've already snapped a photo and uploaded them to software. Basically, treat your room as if your inspector could walk in at any moment. Now, I honestly don't know if that was any help at all, but yeah, there it is. You got it. That's how I stay organized. And our last segment, I wanted to talk about a discussion I had with a follower who she's currently not practicing, um, but she still is a licensed esthetician in her state. She's got some things going on and had to step away from the table. And she didn't tell me not to use her name, but... She also didn't tell me to use it. <laughs> so I'm going to err on this out of caution. I'm going to keep her anonymous because I think some of you, a lot of you might get ass hurt. But she DM'd me this message. She says, I thought that you would find this conversation interesting and as funny as I did. Now, under this message was a picture and it looked like a screen grab of a Facebook group message board. And the gist of the message was someone posted what was the accepted and correct abbreviation for the term esthetician. And the lady, I think, even went so far as to list choices because she had seen so many different things like you and I both. And of course, the comment section was totally full of different opinions. Uh, you know, use whatever you're comfortable using, that kind of thing. But what had caught this not-to-be-named followers, I was the number of comments where people flat out said, I don't accept an abbreviation. I have worked hard to become an esthetician. 
Uh, and as I said, the follower who shall remain unnamed thought it was hilarious how some of these texts were taking themselves so damn seriously. And she assumed, since my account is about the absurd and ridiculous, that I would too. Now, y'all, you are entitled to be called whatever you want to be called in the field of aesthetics if you have your license. That's that's it. You, you can be called whatever you want to be called. Now, with that being said, it's... <laughs> It's just such a funny thing to park on, at least to me. I mean, uh, you went to school for six months, maybe nine months. Maybe some of you had to go a year, but but six, nine months, that, that, that's most instances. Now, the school, they make sure you pass your curriculum. They do, because it is in their best interest to do so. It is really hard to academically flunk out of a school that teaches aesthetics or cosmetology. Hello, they have to reach their numbers. Basically, you've got like a million chances to retake that test or retake that practical or meet your numbers for an eyebrow wax. They're going to make sure you do that. At least that is how every school that I have ever worked in has been. The only thing that a school will fail you on is if you exhibit like threatening behavior towards students or teachers um, or your attendance is in the garbage. Like, that's it. Other than that, you are going to get a passing completion on your program. Then all you have to do is you sit for your boards, which that is not hard at all if you have studied. And then boom, you are licensed. And you are licensed forever. As long as you pay a fee every year or every other year, however it is. And some of us have to take continuing education classes, which you should be doing anyway. Now, I love my field. I love most. Okay, wait. I love some of the people in my field. I love skincare. I really do. Now, I do hate waxing and I do hate lashes because those clients drive me crazy. But all the rest of it is amazing. But I'm going to be honest with y'all. And it's probably going to piss y'all off. But I have to be honest. It was not that damn hard to become a licensed esthetician. There was no struggle. It is much harder to be a good esthetician once you get your license. That requires a bit of diligence. Now, I'm not trying to take from your journey as an esthetician. And, I, and I'm also not saying that being an esthetician is a cakewalk. What we do, it requires thought. It requires skill. It requires a certain kind of finesse and willingness to put up with a lot of shit. Being an esthetician, it almost ensures that you're going to have problems with your body as you get older. Your hands are going to be screwed up. Your back is always going to ache for whatever reason. You're probably going to end up with those ugly spider veins on your legs from standing hour after hour waxing on concrete floors. I'm not saying that the work itself isn't hard and that it isn't demanding. It does take a special kind of person to make it in this industry. I'm saying getting that title, that specific title of esthetician, getting that license, getting your name on that piece of paper, the deck is kind of stacked in your favor. If you do half of what you're supposed to do during your school program. I, I just think that sometimes people make it sound like like we did a full four-year program and then had to do like an apprenticeship for years afterwards. 
But we are not doctors. We don't do four years of understudy, four years of med school, and then three years of like a, like a residency. And even doctors get called doc like all the damn time. I used to work for a fucking brain surgeon. Do you know what we called her? I'm not going to say her last name, but do you know what we called her? Doc. <laughs> oh, esthetician. It is a long ass word and it's hard to say and it's hard to spell for like 75% of the general public. I mean, if I'm being honest, I have never, ever introduced myself as your esty. Never done that to anyone. No one, not a friend, not a coworker, not anyone. But I do use the abbreviated versions when I'm writing and when I'm speaking to you guys because I know that you know as an institution what I'm talking about. And maybe I should take myself as seriously as some of y'all do, but I just can't. I rip wax from people's assholes daily. There's times that I get farted on. There's times I have to dodge dry shit projectiles. There's times that I have to low-key remove a teaspoon of cleanser that I just dropped in someone's hair. I can't be serious. I just can't be serious about that. I, I just don't feel like you earn respect through insisting that you get respect. I think respect is earned through being something that someone wants to actually respect. You know what I mean? And I feel like my clients give me that respect regardless of what they call me, whether it be an esty or an arrestitician or an anesthetist. We usually have a good laugh over their wrong pronunciations and we keep that shit moving. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like life is already so damn serious that I'm not going to make a big deal out of an abbreviation. If an abbreviation is good enough for a brain surgeon, it is good enough for my asshole waxing self. But that is just my opinion. Y'all keep on keeping on with however you need to be addressed to ensure that you feel what you need to feel. Just know I am chuckling on the inside whenever I see y'all correcting someone for saying ST instead of esthetician. All right, that's it. That's the show for today. If you have any topic requests or complaints or show ideas or you disagree with me about something or you just want to tell me something skin related, please reach out at edge at yahoo.com. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, wishing you a Pam free week. See you next show.